first phrase that we have is so then, or your Bible might say therefore. Whenever you see a word like therefore or so then, it's pointing back to what he said before it. Okay, so we have to go back to what we've already been through. Um, both Mike Stairs and um, Jeff Warner have preached on the previous verses in chapter 2. And immediately before this verse, we have a hymn to Christ. A hymn that was probably well circulated at the time. And it was a hymn about Jesus telling us who he was, what he did. He was God who humbled himself, came down to earth, became a human, obeyed the Father, died on the cross. Okay, this is, this is the story of our salvation, right? This is, this is the story of how we are saved. I'm concerned because verse 12 is work out your salvation, but right before this we have the story of salvation, that it is through Christ that we are saved because of what he did for us. So already I'm wrong. Good. I'm glad to be wrong in this case. Christ gives us our salvation. And at the end of the, the, um, the hymn, it says the words that God highly exalted his son. He gave him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Yes. These words... I don't know, I hear those words, every tongue confess that he is Lord. <laughs> and I just picture that someday everyone will admit that he is Lord, whether or not they admitted it in their lives. There's something about God, something about the Lord that, that brings us to our knees. And, and really, I think that's what the fear and trembling is in this verse. He is God, we are not. It's a, it's a proper recognition of our relationship to him, that we are dependent on him, and that we need to give him the glory and the awe that is due to his name. That's what fear and trembling is. And it always, when in, within scripture, whenever you see someone who encounters God, like for example, in Isaiah, Isaiah is in the presence of God and his, the glory of God is surrounding him. And he's overwhelmed and he says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. And immediately God sends an angel to cleanse him. You know, this, this man is afraid and trembling in God's presence, and immediately God reaches out to him. That is always our relationship with God. When we come in contact with him in Scripture, and we, we see that people are afraid of Jesus after he's resurrected, or whenever, it's, you know, do not be afraid. I want to be in relationship with you. That is how we should understand this verse. We, we do come to God in humility and fear and trembling, and he, and he in turn reciprocates. By working in us. Um, verse 13. It is God who is working in you. For it is God working in you. Enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Let me read the whole thing again. I don't think I read it all at once. 12 and 13. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. It is God working in you. It is God who gives you the desire to do what he wants. It is God working in you who gives you the ability to do it. And it's for his purposes. 
we can't work out our own salvation in the sense that we we earn our salvation. We work at our salvation. That's not what it says. We're working out our salvation in this context. I mean, these people are already Christians. They're already saved in the past tense. They, they anticipate being saved from God's wrath. But working out our salvation, is, it comes through obedience and through obeying God here and life on earth. I think what this passage is pointing to is our sanctification, our being made holy, our being made like God. And really, I think our being made who we were originally intended to be. We were not meant to be broken, sinful people. That was not how God created Adam and Eve. But sin entered the picture. And ever since then, God has been working to restore humans to who they are. So when we talk about this, this, this idea of sanctification, that's the $3,000 seminary word for what we're discussing When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are working alongside God as he works in us. Um, I have a passage up here on the screen. This is from Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Will we wait for the blessed hope? Will we wait for the future? The appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. This is God and us working together as he works in us and as we move towards him. It, it, it requires us to both... Stop sinning, learning to say no, as it says in this passage, as well as learning to do what God has for us. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 16, it's the next verse, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross and follow me. Deny yourself, die to self. It's a hard thing to hear, right? Die to self. Um, but I believe it's what brings us life. We're also supposed to do good. James said, James was the brother of Jesus. He said, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say to you, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you that my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. The commentator that I read on this passage, he said something that struck me. If we are in Christ, if we are truly saved, being in Christ is always accompanied by Christ-likeness. There's always a change that accompanies our coming into salvation. And it goes on through our lives. The hard thing is, honestly, I think we can't always see how this is good in our lives. We get distracted by things that are pleasurable for us. Um, Not necessarily always sinful even, but um, things that seem to be better options to make us feel better. I mean, I don't know about you, and I have a bad day. A lot of times all I want to do is either watch a TV show that I like, or crochet, or maybe both, or um, drink a pot of tea, or, you know, just do something that relaxes me. And I don't often go to God with that. I don't often go to God and say, how can you 
come to me? Like, how can we be working together in this? I do my own thing in order to make myself feel better. Other times, when I'm caught up in the midst of myself, I find myself sinning. I find myself hurting my husband and my children. I find myself blatantly choosing the things that are not of God. How does this happen? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I want to live my life for him, I think. And yet I find myself constantly going back and forth between, between trying to live for him and really working out my salvation, I think, in, in the way that Paul is t- discussing in Philippians 2. And at the same time, I at times put him aside and do my own thing without really even considering what God would want. You know, I, I find myself caught in between these two things. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we view what God wants for us. A lot of, a lot of the reason we do that is because we've lost sight of, of the goodness that isn't what God wants for us. Instead, we view other things as better. And I brought in a little video clip for you guys from one of my favorite movies called The Emperor's New Groove. Uh, this is, if you guys have seen it, Kronk is, um, he's one of the bad ladies, um, I guess man candy would be the best idea to call him. And he's, she sends Kronk on a mission to kill the emperor. And this is him struggling in the midst of fulfilling this task. And the emperor is, um, Cusco, he is narrating, but he's actually in the bag. Guess where I am right now? Uh-huh. In the bag. Still think I'm not the victim here? Watch. It gets better. Oh, he's doing his own theme music? Big, dumb, and tone deaf. I am so glad I was unconscious for all of this. Mission accomplished. you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. You. 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 You infinity. Ah. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one. Look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp. And you know it. All right. That's a harp. And that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two. Look what I can do. <laughs> but what does that have to do with him? No, no. He's got a point. Listen, you guys. You're sort of confusing me, so, uh, be gone. Uh, or, uh, you know, however I get rid of you guys. That'll work. Um, what's with the chimp and the bug? Can we get back to me? I love that movie. The life that rocks. (laughs) Which life rocks? 
you know, a lot of times doing what isn't what God wants, it does seem like that guy who can do one handstand by himself, it's way more fun. (laughs) And we do want to say, yeah, he's got a point, you know. We believe, we buy into this idea that the life God has for us is boring and sissy. Am I the only one? I mean, sometimes it it's, doesn't seem that exciting to just be good. But God's not asking us to just be good. That's an that's a improper view of what God wants for our lives. God doesn't want us just to be good. He wants us to live. He wants us to have life. He, he gives us the life, the life that rocks. That's why I titled the sermon that. I think it really is amazing that God, the God of the universe, it is for his good purpose that we should have life. That he desires for us to have real life. That he desires for us to experience it. He did not only just save us from eternal damnation at the end of time when he judges us. He is saving us for life here on earth. He wants to save us from our own misery and and the things that we do to ourselves and other people have done to us. He wants us to have life here on earth. We are saved for something. Christ's ministry and his teaching reflects this completely. When Jesus began his ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord, sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at those words. Good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Heal our hurts. Proclaim freedom for captives. You ever feel captive, captivated, wrong word, held captive by your sin? <laughs> Dark, freedom from darkness for prisoners, being blinded by, I guess being blinded by not really understanding, um, being blind to being able to see who God truly is because we are held captive by our sin. God does not want that for us. That's what Jesus came was to free us from all of this stuff. And when he went around and would heal people, I mean, people came flocking to him. Crowds and crowds. I mean, they could see that he was offering life. I don't think that he, they were just seeing that he was offering, you know, to heal someone's hand. He never just healed someone's hand. I think he offered them hope that there could be more to life as he, as he released people from their sins. For example, you remember that story when um, the the four men brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus, and there was two, there wasn't room in the building of the house that they were li- that they were Jesus was preaching in, and so they dug a hole in the ceiling and lowered him down, and Jesus saw them and he saw their faith and he said to the man, "Your sins are forgiven you," and then he also healed him from his paralysis. But he he came and he offered them hope. And life and forgiveness. He came and he taught against what the Pharisees were teaching at the time. The Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders at the time, would take the law and they would make it harder, (laughs) frankly. For example, on the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath said keep the Sabbath holy, or the commandment is keep the Sabbath holy. Um, Well, 
and rest, I guess is what it mostly says. I'm not quoting it right. <laughs> um, but they just said, you can't work at all. You're not allowed to not only, you know, not make food, which is one of the things God said. You, you should not, if a donkey falls, you know, into a, a ditch or something, don't go get it. You know, um, if, if oh, I'm blanking on, on what some things that they said, but um, it just made it really life really difficult for the people. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? They made life really difficult for people by all the laws that they, they incur or enforced. And it was exhausting. I mean, when I think about it, it's like I think about the rules that I put on myself when I was trying to be a good girl. And I became exhausted. I was weary. I was tired. I was ex- so tired from all of the rules I put on myself that weren't really from God. Jesus, in turn, says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. For a long time, I didn't believe that Jesus' yoke was easy. A yoke, it just sounded like another, something else to weigh me down. It sounded like, be good, work out your salvation, this is my yoke on you. That's what I heard. But really, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's comparing the way we've been living and trying to do good and be good all by ourselves, which is so hard, with living life with him. Living life as God intends us to live with him by our side. Not just by our side. God's working in us. We are promised the Holy Spirit in us. We are promised that the Spirit will work in us. Jesus said, you can't do any good on your own. You you need me. And throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, like Paul teaches that you should live life in the spirit, not on your own, but the, you know, the people who are saved live life by the spirit. We don't have the pressure to do it all by ourselves. When we have the pressure to do it by ourselves, we wind up weary and burdened. But when we turn to God and we depend on his spirit, we do experience what Jesus said here. We experience that life can be easy and the burden can be light because Jesus is right there with us. Jesus also said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So no one can come to the Father except through me. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is one of my life verses. I don't know if you guys have heard that phrase. But, you know, it's a verse that I try to remember and live by, that God desires for me to have true life as he intended it. He wants me to experience life abundantly. Do you, do you ever have a feeling that life should be more than what it is? I think that's what God desires us to experience. He desires us to feel that way so that we turn to him in order to find this life that he promises us. Life abundantly. And we find it when we turn to him. We depend on him as we live out our faith. It's God working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his own good purpose. How do we do this, though? 
I mean, I feel like I could say a whole bunch of inspiring things without really giving you advice. So I really hope that this is helpful. First, we need to depend on God's enablement for us to both desire and to do what he wants for us. We need to depend on him for the ability to turn from sin and to do the things that he wants. Desire is a weird thing. We struggle with wanting to do what God wants, but he really can give us the desires of his heart in our heart. I have a weird story. Um, Six years ago, about, Tim and I were asked to host a French student for a month in the summer of 2006. And for some reason, Tim really wanted to do it. And I really did not want to do it. And I remember we we got in a kind of a fight over it, I guess, as we were talking about it and um, arguing over whether we were going to take the student or not. It just didn't sound attractive to me at all to taking a 15-year-old boy. Um, and I remember sitting, we were, I was so upset, sitting on the floor of my bathroom, crying, because we just got in this argument, and Tim really wanted to take it boy, and I really didn't want to. I'm like, God, what are we going to do? I don't want to do this. What do you want for us to do? And I really fully expected, I don't know, him to agree with me. But instead, this peace came over me. And I felt like him say, I felt like he said, it's going to be okay. I want you to do this. It's going to be okay. My response was, no, I don't want to do it. It's going to be okay. And he slowly changed my will as I opened it up to him. He can change us. He can change our will and our desires. Um, The best Description or the best way I, I ever heard of how this works is, you know, we can say to God with a closed fist, this is my will. I don't want you to take it. And then we slowly say, Lord, I'm willing to be willing to do what you want. I guess I'm willing to take on your will if you'll give it to me. And slowly our hand starts to open up towards what he has for us. I'm willing to be willing, Lord. I'm willing to trust you if you'll put it, if you'll give me the trust. I'm willing to be willing. I'm terrified. But you can change me. He does it. It's crazy. I don't know how he does it. But he can change our hearts towards him. And then beyond that, he gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. He gives us the ability to say no to the sin, like we already read in Titus. He gives us the ability to live life in the spirit, a life that is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are good things. And it's not just good in the sense that it's sissy stuff. It's good because it changes our lives. It heals us. Peace Have you ever experienced peace from God in the midst of turmoil? I don't understand how it works. We should be upset. Like the things that are going on in our lives are really painful, and yet we have peace when God's spirit comes in. It's incredible. I don't know how he does it. But it's the life that he wants for us, a life that is good, a life that is beyond what we can can imagine. 
So there's a, a serious emphasis on, on how this works out in our personal lives. I just spent a lot of time talking about us ourselves individually, right? We know that we personally need his, his touch on our lives to heal us from the pains of our past. We know that he needs to come in and break us free from our sin, break us free from being caught in our habitual sins. We need him for that. So there's a very personal element here. But when Paul is writing in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it's in the midst of a much larger, longer passage. And the emphasis of the entire passage is living life in community, living life united with one another, living life as Christ did, sacrificially, considering other people first. So when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling by the power of God, we are not doing it individually. We are not meant to do this on our own. We are meant to do it in community. We are meant to do it together. Recently, I've heard a lot of people at Scum saying they're longing to be connected to one another. They're longing to be united to one another. We're longing for one another. We're lonely people, not just us. I think the whole world is lonely. I think we have become so individualized in our culture and then in our faith, even in our families. We're all by ourselves. We are not meant to live that way. When God created Adam, he saw that he was alone and he saw that it wasn't good. And he said, I'm going to create Eve for him. He didn't just give Adam a wife. The answer isn't in a spouse. We are not, you know, if we're not married, it's not like you can't have connection with other people. We are meant to live together. God is a triune God, three in one. He lives in community and we were created in his image. We were created to live together. So when we keep people at arm's length, we are actually harming ourselves. And we are actually, I think, harming each other in that we're not able to bring each other to to full maturity in Christ. Um, But how do we do this? How do we work out our salvation together as a group? How do we live our life of faith together? I've heard people, so many people say that they long for this. It takes some vulnerability. I'm going to say that. We can't pretend that we have it all together. We can't pretend that we don't care that we don't have it all together. We need to have honest conversations. There's a phrase that, a little question that sounds kind of funny, but... It goes around in some mystical communities. How is it with your soul? (laughs) Can we ask that to one another? How are you really? Not just how are you? Oh, fine, good, okay, bye. How are you really? That's one way to start. Developing intentional relationships with one another where we, we really sit down and talk and meet one another. Hopefully that will lead to some confession. We are to confess our sins to one another. I think when we start doing this, we'll find that our sins aren't very much different than those around us. It's all the same in some ways. And through confessing, we find forgiveness from the other person given from God. 
We experience forgiveness face to face. We can't really experience forgiveness from God face to face, can we? I mean, we can sense his presence. We can sense his love. But there's something about being across from someone and hearing the words you're forgiven that nothing else can replace. We can pray for each other. We can pray for the hurts in our lives. We can pray for healing. We can pray that God would come into our midst and heal us. I think some of the most powerful times I've had in prayer have not been alone, but had been with other people. It just came to my mind, when two or three are gathered, God is in our midst. It promises that in Scripture. He's with us. We are meant to do this together. And we can find great encouragement from doing it together. It is hard to live a life for Christ in this world alone. It's hard. The majority of the culture doesn't care. Most people don't care about, about following God. We get, we get the guy doing the one handstand saying, this, this is the life that rocks. Not what you're doing. What I'm doing is better. You're going to find life doing what I'm doing. And God's saying, no, that's not the life I intended for you. And whenever we do go off on that end, we end up feeling empty inside and, and realize, once again, we should have done what God wanted in the first place. We need each other to encourage each other to hold fast as we work out our salvation, as God enables us to. I would like to challenge you to consider how you how you can work this out in your life and more specifically here at Scum of the Earth Church. Consider maybe it might be that that really you have a lot of healing that needs to happen in your life. And I understand that for sure. I'm not saying just to go out and do it when you feel great pain and sadness. Bring that to someone else. I encourage you to find someone who you can talk to. And I encourage you to bring each other to Jesus. Don't just talk about it to talk about it. It's easy to vent. It's easy to gossip. It's easy to complain. It's easy to commiserate with one another. Bring it to Jesus. And there you'll find life. We're going to have prayer offered, or prayer offered in the prayer cave now during our last worship set. If you need prayer tonight, there will be people who are able to pray with you. And I encourage you to find prayer partners through life. I encourage you to, to work out your salvation together. I'm going to pray right now. Lord God, you have great plans for us. <laughs> You have amazing things that you desire for our lives. And I ask that you would help us believe it, God. That you would show us the things you have for us. That you would give us the desire to live for you. Lord, I pray that you would also enable us to do the things that you want. That we'd be encouraged as we see your fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that we take our eyes off of ourselves and we turn them on you. And I also ask, God, that you would teach us to look out for one another. I ask, Lord, that you would bring us closer to one another and bring us as a group closer to you. May we experience life 
May we experience the life that you desire us to have, the life that we desire to have. God, bring life to this group. In Jesus' name, amen.